Changed by Love is the teaching ministry of Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel Morris Hills in Morris County, New Jersey. Pastor Jim's desire is to teach the Word of God with passion and simplicity, as well as a direct application to our daily lives. Do you fear more things now than you did as a child? There's a reason the Bible encourages childlike faith. Today, Pastor Jim takes you on a journey with a familiar character in King David. You probably know the story of David in the lion's den, but that's just one of the ways that God uses David to illustrate his power. When you face fear in your life, where does your mind go first? David had faith that God would protect him, and that faith removed any fear of those lions, and it will do the same for you. Well, let's join Pastor Jim in the book of Psalms, chapter 27, as he begins his message, Fear Killing Faith. I just want to go on record to say that I do have permission to tell this story. And I told it many, many years ago, and so I want to tell it again. 20 years ago, when our kids were young, we took a family cross-country trip. And we were in a place called the Badlands of South Dakota. So we've been driving in the car all day. It was getting late, and we saw this kind of valley down there. It wasn't that deep, and I just said, why don't we just walk down to the valley with the kids, get them a little tired, maybe they'll fall asleep a little easier tonight. And so we're going to go down this path. We saw a path going down there. So we get down the path, and we're down at the bottom of the valley, and my wife begins to get very nervous. She says to me, it's getting dark, and you know, in a place like this, when it gets dark, all the wild animals are going to start coming out. So we need to get back up to the car very quickly, stop walking, let's turn around, let's go. Well, I look up this other way, and I see this other path. And I can see our car, so I said, well, why don't we go that way? It looks shorter. So she's like, okay. So we start to go up that path, and I don't realize that there's some dead ends, and it stops here and stops there and winds and stuff like that. And it turns out that that path was much, much longer. Well, as we're walking, my sweet, sweet wife began to get very, very angry with me. Now, we were not fighting. Christians don't fight. Christian marriages, we don't fight. We have intense fellowship. <laughs> so we were beginning to have some intense fellowship. And she said this to me, that she said to me so many times in our marriage, she said, you can never go the same way twice. And that's true. If I go visit someplace I've never been to before, I go one way, and then I come back another way. I just, it's just not within my DNA. Maybe it's the adventure in me. She says I've made her more of an adventurer. So that is true. But as we kept walking on this now longer path, even though I can see our car, she's getting more and more afraid. She kept saying to me over and over again, it's getting dark, it's getting dark, it's getting dark. And I kept going, I really don't think it's that dark. <laughs> and she's like, don't tell me that. It is getting dark. So by the time we get up to the car, she's not speaking to me anymore. Right? So we, we get up to the car, and we get there, and she's madder than a hornet. And I'm like, I don't know what the big deal is. And all of a sudden, I hear this, hon, I'm really sorry. I turn around, and I go, what? She goes, I've been wearing my sunglasses the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> It's really not that dark out. Sounds <laughs> like this kind of light. And I said, yeah, I, I know. Um, there's an old expression. 
Fear is the only thing that multiplies faster than rabbits. And uh, compared to where I grew up in, there's not that many rabbits around here, but around where I grew up in, there was tons of rabbits. Being afraid is part of the human experience. And I'm not sure in my lifetime that I have ever seen more fear than I have seen in people in the last few years. Now, if you are older, maybe you're here or you're watching online or something like that, listening on the radio, and you're like, well, I lived through the Depression. I lived through World War II. I lived through some really difficult times. I could understand how that might be worse. But why is this important? Because many followers of Jesus actually spend their lives living in fear. And fear can be paralyzing. It can lead to sin. It can lead to little spiritual growth. It can lead to all kinds of excuses. And it can even lead to our falling away. Now, the Lord has never promised a follower of Jesus. And let me just stop right there and say to you, if you are here with us watching online or listening on the radio and you are not a follower of Jesus, we're glad that you're with us here today. Um, But the Lord never promised followers of Jesus the absence of trouble in our lives. Did you hear that? He never promised us the absence of trouble in our lives. What the Lord has promised us is his presence in the life of a follower of Jesus. And when we experience the presence of the Lord, that can bring light into the darkness of our life, and we can actually begin to thrive and not to fear. Here in Psalm 27, King David models for us faith in the midst of overwhelming fear trusting in God or choosing to trust in God instead of himself. Now, King David faces fear very differently than most of us do. What do most people do when they're afraid of something? Well, a lot of people deny their fear, don't they? Are you afraid? No, I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid. They're all nervous, and I'm not afraid. Other people just say, just think happy thoughts. Do you ever have anybody say that to you? Just think happy thoughts? Be honest. Did you want to punch them in the nose? <laughs> right? You know, just think happy. Or they'll say this. Just think about the way you think, want things to turn out. Okay, that's all nice, but that doesn't mean that it's going to turn out that way. Other people just think, well, if I just get busy. I just get so busy, I'll, I'll forget about everything. And other people, a lot of times, fall back into their addictions when they're facing a lot of fear. Now, the Lord knows that we need confidence in him. He knows that we need courage in him when our fears overwhelm us. So here in Psalm 27, I've entitled today's message, Fear Killing Faith. Fear Killing Faith, part of our, this little mini-series we're running called Finding the Heart of God in Difficult Days. And a lot of this is largely for me this month. In all the years I've been pastoring the church here, I never, ever did a series for me, but there's so many, a conglomeration of so many difficulties going on in my life right now. I was like, well, maybe I'm just going to preach to myself and you guys will have to listen to my woes. I won't, I won't tell you all my woes, but, but anyway. So if you're taking notes, the first point we want to make is this three is confidence in the Lord kills fear. Confidence in the Lord kills fear. Psalm 27, remember we said the heading is the part of the psalm, a psalm of David. David lived about a thousand years before Jesus, and he writes this in verse one. The Lord is my light and my salvation. 
whom shall I fear? Now, it may mean I shouldn't fear anyone. It may mean I should fear the Lord. The Lord is the strength. Some of you are going to say the stronghold. Some say the, the defense of my life. So notice he personalizes it as of my life. So we're really getting to listen in to David talk to God. That's what a lot of the Psalms are, really wonderful. He says, of whom shall I be afraid? And again, it would be the Lord or it would be no one. So in the darkness, the Lord is David's light and the Lord is David's protection. And as he comes in tune with that, it begins to lessen his level of fear. That's because the Lord represents to King David safety. The Lord re represents to him security. And the closer he gets to the Lord, the more his fear subsides. Now, I think it's fair to say for most of us, and this might not be the easiest thing to hear, for most of us, our fear and our problems, what? Consume us. We become so just deep, that's all we can think about. And often, it's very easy for us to forget about the Lord. He all of a sudden, the problem is here, and kind of the Lord is down here. And so we want to be very, very careful that this is not us. He says that the Lord is his salvation. Now, in the New Testament, that refers to the new birth, being saved from your sins, becoming a new creation in Christ. In the Old Testament, it actually has to do with the deliverance from trouble and the deliverance from enemies. So the God saved us. In the New Testament, we say God saved us from our sins. The Old Testament, they would say he saved us from our enemies. Now, to be honest about King David, you, if you know anything about his life, it's, he's a tremendous, intricate character study. He is one complicated guy, and he, he has to learn through his experience. And sometimes there's things we know in our heads as Christians, but God has to teach us through reality. So theory becomes reality. And David has learned that dark times can be turned into light, that danger can be turned into the Lord's deliverance, and that attacks can be turned into the Lord's protection. In the New Testament, the Apostle John writes this, 1 John 4.18, perfect love casts out fear. However, the experience of that perfect love or finding refuge in Jesus, in his perfect love, is not always easy. Sometimes it's a process. And so sometimes we a lot of us, we forget about God. Other of us, we're just so hard and we're like, our faith is just ridiculously bad. But David is going to help us navigate some of this stuff. In verse 2 and 3, he says, when the wicked, some versions say evildoers, came against me to eat up, some versions say devour my flesh. And the idea of devour is to attack and destroy me. My enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. Verse 3, though an army may camp against me, my heart shall not fear. Another one, version says, my heart will not be afraid. Though war may rise against me in this or even then, I will be confident. Now, why is that? That word confident, actually, the way it translates in a lot of our English Bible is confident, but it's actually the Hebrew word that means trust. So what is he saying? When the enemy comes, 
okay? I know these things from verse one about God, and I will trust that he will be those things to me. Notice here, and this is a very unusual thing, something we all probably are not really that aware of, that trouble seems to draw David closer to God. Did you ever, maybe you have a path in the woods or something like that, and maybe after the winter it needs to be cleared out or there's overgrowth and you want to clear it out or something like that. I think for David, that he might tell us that fear has cleared the path to the Lord for him. Like he was not really doing great in getting to the Lord, but by being fearful, he then was able to beeline it to the Lord. And also, he has in the back of his mind past deliverance. And that gave him confidence, not self-confidence. Trust in the Lord. Trust and confidence and faith in the Lord. Notice he says that trust is in his heart. What is he saying? That deep down, deep down inside me, he trusts the Lord for future deliverance. Now, if you know anything about David, the guy was always in trouble. He was always in trouble. Some of it was of his own doing. Some of it was just, you know, being the chosen man of the Lord to be the king. But sometimes you read in his life and you read some of the stuff that he does and you're like, I can't believe he did that. And then you read the Psalms. And then you're like, man, this guy knew the Lord. In fact, I find him a bit intimidating. Like how much he knows the Lord, how deep he knows the Lord, the way his brain processes the things about God. So verse one to three is a tremendous expression of confidence in God. In fact, you may want to circle that in your Bible and say that's a tremendous expression of confidence in God. Perhaps one of the better expressions of confidence of God in the entirety of the Old Testament, the kind of thing that you need to put inside of your heart. If you're taking notes, you may want to jot down Romans 8, verse 28 through 39, which is probably the greatest, in my opinion, the greatest expression of confident trust in the Lord in the entire Bible. In fact, we will make some references to it today. Pick out part one from verse 31 right now, Romans 8.31. He says, if God is for us, who can be against us? Well, that's obviously the answer to that one is no one really. It may seem that way at the time, but no one really. Well, that's number one, confidence in the Lord kills fear. Number two, kills fear. Personal intimacy with the Lord kills fear. Personal intimacy Verse four, the imagery begins to change. He says, one thing I have desired. Let me stop right there and ask you this question. What's your one thing? What's your one thing? What's the one thing that you, that you desire? What's the one thing you ask of the Lord? What's at the top of the list and everything else kind of falls below it? I know people like to order different things. You hear from married people, they go, well, God is number one, and my wife is number two, and my kids are number three, and Pastor Jim doesn't even make the list, and uh, you, know, you, have all, you have all these different things. But I like to think of the Lord as being over everything. It helps me keep all the other stuff in perspective rather than ordering it, okay? You know, so it's like if, if one of my kids was in a bad car accident and they call me up and say, yeah, I was in a bad car accident, can you come get me? I go, well, you're only number three. I got to check with God and check with your mother first. Okay, I don't want to do that, right? So the Lord is over everything. And so he gets that. So what is your one thing? 
He says, one thing I have desired of the Lord that I will seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold or to gaze upon, some of your versions say, the idea means to perceive him, the beauty of the Lord, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire or to meditate or some versions say to seek him in his temple. So what does he say? He says, the top priority of my life is the Lord. And this is the one thing that I really desire, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. What does he mean by that? I mean, he means that he wants to fellowship with the Lord. He wants to know the Lord intimately. He wants to be in the presence of the Lord personally. Now, some people would come back with that, and they say, well, God is everywhere. But that does not mean that you know him personally. Okay, so let's just say you go to a concert. There's a band on the stage. Are you in their presence? You're in their presence. How well do you know them? You don't. So a lot of people go to church every Sunday in the United States of America, and they're in the presence of the Lord and his people per se, but they're not really in the presence of the Lord. They don't really know him. They don't really know the people. They just happen to be there. He says, I want to be in the presence of the Lord personally. That's what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. I know God, and he knows me, and it's a, and it's a constant growing relationship. And he says, I want to behold the Lord. I want to gaze at him. That comes down to that what, is that, what is that one thing that you look at that you just gaze in? That you just have that, that time when you think, that, that's just such a beautiful thing. Those of us men who have been married, we, I'm going to be with a couple next week to experience this. The groom is sitting up front and everybody turns around and looks at the bride walking in and he's like, oh, oh. right? And, and it's like the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in my life right? Remember that moment, guys. And so he, he's saying, I want to just gaze at the beauty of the Lord. And then he says, and part of this also, this one thing is I want to inquire of him. I want to seek him. What does he mean by that? He goes, I want to learn from him. I want to hear from him. I want to ask him for guidance. I want to ask him for wisdom. So David seeks the Lord not just for safety, but he tells us that really the Lord is his top priority, his top priority is the presence of the Lord. It is the worship of the Lord. You see, for King David, going to the house of the Lord was not some duty. A lot of people just do it as a duty. Less and less are doing it as a duty now, but a lot of people just would do it as a duty. Rather, he is going because for him, it is a time of soul-satisfying, deep fellowship with God and his people just fellowshipping with God, being close to God. And he says, I want this all the days of my life. And I think that's his life here on earth, but it certainly could go into eternity. And it's interesting when you read the Bible, the Bible writers and the apostles put much more emphasis on corporate worship, the gathering of God's people than we do in the American church. Well, why is that? Because to them, it was a picture of a greater reality. It was a picture of a heavenly reality a picture of what heaven would be like. 
And sadly, many followers of Jesus who fail to make this a priority often end up far from the Lord or not deep in the faith, some even falling away. Now, you might ask the question, does he want to dwell or live in the earthly temple? I doubt it. I think he's simply saying, everywhere I go, I want to be closer to the Lord. And gathering with his people, singing his praises, hearing his word taught, this is just one of the ways that I keep that going every day in my life. King David does not want to be complacent. He wants to live completely for the Lord and seek him with passion. And you know, that's what the Lord wants for you, and that's what the Lord wants for me. He doesn't want us to be complacent. He doesn't want us to come into church and watch the band and go, oh, yeah, they're pretty good. Yeah, they're pretty good. He wants you to sing. He doesn't want you to listen to me up here telling stories about me and my wife in the Badlands, right, of wearing sunglasses and stuff like that. What does he want you to do? That's just to get you to detox from the week. He wants you to get your face in the Bible and hear from him. Yes, I'm talking to you, but there's another conversation that's going on this way. And this is what he wants for you to do. Uh, for those of you who take notes, what I used to do is I used to take my bulletin and I, or program or piece of paper I was doing, and I would take the page and I would divide it into two-thirds and one-thirds. Two-thirds is what the pastor said, and one-third was that I heard what the Lord said to me. Now you say, well, why would the Lord get shorter? Because usually there was less things, but they were so specific and they were actionable. They were actionable. And so those were the things that I wanted to do that. And I would, I would usually go back over the over the passage again. And so God wants us to seek him with compassion. He wants us to seek him in his will. He wants us to behold the beauty of the Lord and inquire. Again, we are not to be passive if we want to know the Lord more intimately. This is essential to true worship. This is essential to being, to true discipleship. Now, some of you say, oh, I'm not a disciple. That's for the superstar Christians, not in the Bible. The disciples are simply the learners and followers of Jesus. So God wants you to what? He wants you to be more intimate with him. He wants the people of God together and individually be more intimate with him, know more about him, and hear from him. God wants you, God wants me to grow deep in him. That is a goal of God for you and for me. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, please listen to what I'm about to say. God wants you to hear him calling you to that intimacy, calling you to knowing him personally. They say, How, what do I do? How do you do that? You respond to what God has done for you. God sent his son to die on a cross for you. And so what you say to God is, I will, the biblical word is repent. I will turn from my sin to you, God, and I will look up at that cross and I will no longer trust in myself. I'm no longer thinking I'm going to heaven because I'm a good person, but I'm going to put my trust in him, in the Lord Jesus. Verse five and six says, for in the time of trouble or in the time of adversity, he shall hide me or some verses say, keep me safe in his pavilion. Some of you will think pavilion, you're like, what, he's got a place down at the shore on the boardwalk? What, what is that? If you're not from New Jersey, you have no idea what I'm talking about. Some verses say a shelter of, of his tent. Some Bible scholars think, and it doesn't probably 
translate very well for the typical American reader, that it actually is more similar to the wording of a lion's lair, that the Lord is a lion. He, he says, in the secret place of his tabernacle, he shall or he will hide me. He shall set me or lift me high upon a rock. And that's a, uh, an idea of that is triumph. Verse 6, and now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. Therefore, I will offer sacrifices of joy in his temple or in his tent. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. So the enemies, they're around him. But what does he say? I'm going to make sacrifices of joy and I'm going to sing praises to the Lord. So I don't think David was one of those guys that was waiting for church day to meet with God. You know, people, some people are just like, well, I go to church once a week. David's like, no, 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 I go every day, a few times a day, actually. I don't, need, I don't need a building. I don't need all that. But I do meet with God's people, but I also meet with God alone. It was a regular part of his life. Thank you for spending the last half hour with Changed by Love with Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel Morris Hills in Morris County, New Jersey. Changed by Love is designed to help you deepen your relationship with Christ no matter where you are in your journey. Teaming with Changed by Love financially makes it possible to reach thousands, many more than you and I could reach on our own. We are stronger together than we could ever be apart. Please consider a generous gift today. Give safely and securely online at changedbyloveradio.org. You'll find our address there too if you'd rather send a check. You can always reach us by phone at 862-217-9686. It takes a team to encourage thousands. You and Changed by Love with Pastor Jim Kevney. changedbyloveradio.org.